Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all. I'm, I'm double Bibled up this morning, in case you're wondering. So today's sermon is entitled, What Christians Do. And uh, you will find the outline in the back here. I left you no blanks to fill in. I left my old ways. I give it all to you. It's there for you, for sure. You know, you all know me as, uh, as Seth. Um, some will know me just as pastor. But I'd like to introduce myself to you all. Um, I don't know if I've ever introduced myself as Christian. I am a Christian. And um, I want you to know that, in case you were wondering. I'm a believer in Christ. I am a Bible-believing follower of Christ. And I just want to make a, just a short confession to you all. I want to live for the glory of God. That's what I want to do. And I trust him to save me from my sin. But by God's grace, I want to follow the Lord in this life, even unto death. That's what I want. I want to obey him. I want to walk after him. And I want to behave like his kingdom is more real than anything else in this world. Anybody else? All right. So about 18 years ago, this was the Bible I was using going through Bible school. And the church I attended uh, actually talked about the importance of God's word. And they handed out this little, little car, a sheet of paper, poster, board with this on it. And I'm going to read it for you. This is something that really stirred my heart some years ago. And we'll see if this bad boy gets working here. All right. Oh, there it went. All right. So in case you cannot read that, I'm going to read that for you, okay? I picked this up about 18 years ago, like I said, and it's been my Bible that I read at home. And maybe perhaps, just like I said, my confession of faith, maybe this will stir in you. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I'm going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. Anybody else on that one? Okay. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. And when I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. And when I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. And you can just read at the bottom there, it says, I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what I just shared with you, does it resonate with anybody? Anybody at all? Like, it just resonates? Nobody? Okay, reading Jenny over here, all right. It, hopefully it resonates with you all. And uh, that's what I aspire to be. It's what I confess and I aspire to be. But I acknowledge today there are some gaps in the way I oftentimes live. And uh, the conversation I want to have for you today is about this, what Christians do. Um, this is a pastoral sermon. And when I say pastoral sermon, I'm going to be very direct and frank with you. Can you all handle that? Take this in love. Take this in friendship. Uh, take this as a pastor. Um, I have been incredibly burdened over the last 12 months about the spiritual well-being of our church family. 
um, a huge gap in all of us about what we say and what we actually do. And we're sitting on one year since we all adopted this vocabulary word called COVID. We all want to erase it. Like, we don't even want to talk about it anymore, do we? But here it is in our lives. And as I've I've talked with many in our church family, a lot of what my role has been has been meeting individually with people. There are a lot of people spiritually struggling. And uh, we have a ton of casualties of spiritual war here at the church family. And I know the body of Christ across America and the globe is experiencing that as well. But as I talk with people, there are many who don't even know that they're actually a casualty of spiritual war. And I would liken it to Samson when he actually woke up, got out, went out to go out to fight, and the Spirit of God left him, and he didn't even know it. There are many claiming to believe and trust in Christ, but not believing and trusting in Christ in the most practical ways. So before we get into what we've got outlined here, I want to just settle a few things. Number one, do you believe the Bible is God's word and choose to submit to its authority? Answer, yes. All right, so that's number one. Number two, I just want to settle the fact, because I don't know where you all are, is what makes a Christian, a person a Christian? It's not attending church. It's not going through rituals. It's not adhering to certain Uh, standards of behavior, but it's believing that Jesus Christ died and he rose again for your sins. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, if you believe in Christ, that he died and rose again for your sins, says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we are, if you're a believer in Christ, we are different than we used to be, and we're different than the world around us. That's a fact, and that's a reality. But some observations that I've watched in the world, and this is what I see in the world. I see fear. I see resentment. I see people that are emotionally driven, not truth driven. I see searching for significance. I see selfish priorities. And I see individualism. But as I'm meeting within the context of our church family, I'm seeing fear. I'm seeing resentment. I'm seeing unforgiveness, people who are emotionally driven, not driven with truth, a search for significance, selfish priorities, and individualism. I'm seeing the same thing out there in here. This ought not be so. For those who have been made a new creation in Christ and bought with the precious blood of the Savior, D.L. Moody, almost 100 years ago, he said this, that out of 100 men, one will read their Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. And our church family in 2021, I believe, is needing some simple clarity for the way forward in a confusing world. In fact, I almost entitled this sermon, Clarity for the Christian in a Confusing World. But let's just get some straightforward clarity We're going to hop around some different passages, but just straightforward clarity from the Word of God, what Christians do, because we can't look out there for our sense of normalcy, or sense of sanity, or sense of biblically historical Christianity. So, if you look at your outline, 
we're going to see this. First start with this. What Christians do, we believe and we follow the way, not our fears. Do you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? Jesus Christ himself claimed to be the only way. He says in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said that nobody gets to the Father but by me. So when Christians were following Christ, they were called followers of the way. And these are the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In Romans 8, he says, There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say at the end of chapter 8, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So we as believers in Jesus, we follow the way, Christ, not our fears. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, writing to people who are going through some significant troubled times, in fact, they were fearing death itself. Hebrews chapter 2, why don't you read with me, it says this, Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, that's Jesus Christ, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Christ's death did not only pay for our sin, but him actually taking death head on, rising from the dead, is meant to free us from the fear of death. So if you're not a reader, pick up reading. And I encourage you to read the Saints of Old, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You should pick this up, and you will find people who look death square in the face with a confidence, in a supernatural confidence, that as they trusted in Christ, understood what he faced death head on, they found a freedom from the fear of dying. He goes on to say in Hebrews in chapter 12 that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who actually authored this faith, we find endurance and hope. And we aren't paralyzed. I think the writer here, and I think God knows that fear is a powerful thing, and that what you fear actually controls you. This is why we're called to fear the Lord. We're called to live under the control of the Lord. But if we focus on what something else that we fear, we lose our proper fear of the Lord. Now, I cautiously say this because there are some of you, again, just hear me very clear today, there are some of you with significant health issues, and you have to take every decision you make with that in mind. I understand that. And we need everybody praying about what God would have them do in 2021. But there are many Christians fearing a virus they don't have good, much good reason to fear. We have others who are fearing government overreach that really do not have much to fear. And regardless of where you stand in this exchange of fear, I want to encourage you with this, that God's word, the Bible, is not to be set aside in hard times or when fear comes in. It's when fear is tempting you the word of God is when we need it most. Now I imagine if I told you just stop being afraid, you don't stop. You have to see it for what it is. When we live and operate in fear, we are not trusting the Lord. 
and trusting the Lord, not trusting the Lord, is sin. So we as Christians have to identify it for what it is, letting fear control our decisions, letting fear drive our decisions, is sin. So we see, number one, we believe and follow the way, not our fears. That is biblical, historical Christianity. We follow the way. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Number two, we see this. We choose to forgive, not resent. I want to just ask you to do me a favor here. I want you to listen to the words of these passages. Two, uh, three of them are from Christ himself. And I want to just ask you this. What is God's heart on forgiveness for those who claim to be his? Here we go. And whenever you stand praying and f- praying, forgive. If you, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Is he... Is he saying what I think he's saying? Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Is there some type of contingency here? Well, let's see. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Quick moment of confession. Jesus says things that, makes me, that make me uncomfortable. He frequently does this. I think he wants us to really understand the depth of God's heart for forgiveness. Then Peter came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but... 70 times 7. You'll lose track, right? Paul captures it this way, challenging us to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, what's the, the model here? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So what's God's heart and forgiveness for those who claim to be his kids? This means you respond. It's, it, yeah, you must forgive. And in case you're wondering, but I have a special exemption here on this particular standard. When Jesus was on the cross being murdered, the people who were executing him, his last prayer was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So I really think that gives us a model of a trump card that literally trumps all of the things that we have to forgive. And I've observed over the last 12 months a lot of hurtful things said in person, on social media, and the fallout of a 12-month period here, there's a lot of hurt and strained relationships. And for the Christian, this is not negotiable. Christians seek forgiveness. Christians extend forgiveness. The world will tell you otherwise, but when you signed up with Christ, 
This is the new way. This is the new model. This is God's way, the way of truly living. Christians forgive. Now, I'm fairly confident when I mentioned the last 12 months that for many of you, a person popped into your head. It may have even been a spouse or a family member. Uh, Nathan and I were chatting, and we've just observed, and Sid too, that it's interesting. If you're in a marriage and you and your spouse see eye to eye on everything this last year, you're in a rare marriage. Do you think God's trying to overhaul and work on marriages? If you've got family members that you all see eye to eye over this last year, you're in a rare camp. It's that family member that God has designed for you that you need to walk through forgiveness and extend forgiveness for the glory of God. So I would say that for many that the spiritual business of 2021 might be is going to seek in reconciling and forgiving. Christians choose to forgive and not resent because they have received forgiveness of sins through the precious blood of Christ. Number three, keep marching with me. And we'll see this. We follow his mission and his command, not our emotions. If you've been around me very long, you've heard me say this before, that emotions are wonderful passengers. Sometimes emotions try to reach over and grab the wheel. And when they do this, we have to tell them to get in the back seat. And when they don't behave in the back seat, we pull the car over and put them in the trunk. Emotions are wonderful passengers. They are horrible drivers. This is why teenagers have high insurance, right? They're emotionally charged behind a wheel. Not all, but many. We follow his mission and command, not our emotions. I want to just share two passages with you about this. Nothing new here. A reminder of the same all, same all. But it's straightforward, and I'm hoping it'll just kind of jar your memory. It will cause you to go, wait, wait, where did I get off track? The first thing is this. As believers in Christ, we follow his mission. He gave us something to do. God came in human flesh, named Emmanuel. He died for our cro- on the cross for our sins. And before he ascended to heaven, he gave us this so that this is what be what we're about. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Has this been put on the shelf in the last 12 months? Has this kind of been put on a back burner in your own personal life? Is this like, wait, wait, oh, wait, yeah. We just built that discipleship center, wait. Didn't we just have this whole like ministry emphasis about we're called to make disciples, followers of Jesus? We follow Jesus. We invite people to follow us as we follow Jesus and teach them to follow and obey Christ. Isn't that, has it been 12 months? Have we kind of like set that aside? How about this? When asked about his greatest, the greatest command, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that clear? Is that clear? Okay. So, why have we, as followers of Christ, 
put these two things, his mission and his command, off to the side. Like, this is the main thing. This is the main thing he has for us. This is why we're on this earth. If you wonder, why am I on this earth? Why hasn't Jesus come back? We're on this earth for this reason, and 1 Peter says, he's not slow in keeping his promise to return, as some understand slowness, but he actually is wanting none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why has this happened? Because we have a lot of Christians following their emotions, not being driven by truth. So here's a question for you. Does a pandemic give us a pass on making disciples or loving God and others? Answer, no. Does this mission and does his command stand in hard times? The answer is yes. It's not for when we have these clean running programs called adult Bible fellowships. It's not only for just these times where we have kids build and all these other programs. It's for the question mark times. Like, I don't, what, what's going on? Like, what's going on in the church? What's going on in the world? What's going on in our life, our country? This is the marching orders, and this is what we're to be about. So for the Christian, this is the main thing. We follow his mission and his command. We do not follow our emotions. We'll keep marching through this. For the Christian, what Christians do, we fulfill our role and our identity in his church over the world. You guys want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it's to the left of where Hebrews was. We're going to be looking at 12.12. But as Christians, we have a role in the family to embrace from the Lord. And some at Open Door have been neglecting their role in the family. Now, this is countercultural. We think of church as a building in our culture. And we think of church as that program that I attend. Church is a body, it's a family, and it's a function under the authority of Christ and his word. So I want to get you to think through the church as a family, as a function, as a body. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not going up here, so you want to definitely open your Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and I'm going to read a fair number of verses here. I want you to get the gist because this is countercultural. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. So when you came to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, the Bible says that we were spiritually baptized, that we formed one body, the Spirit of God came to take up residence in our body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. He would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body. He would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which would be very weird... Where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, which I think would even be weirder, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Check it out. The setup of the body of Christ, God has placed 
in that body or that fellowship. Quickly look around. God wants you here. This is the body that God has placed you in. Don't doubt that. Whenever you're tempted, go back and read this verse. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there, as it is, there are many parts but one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This is so beautiful. The world highlights. We, cele- uh, we make celebrities of all sorts of people. And the body of Christ, the ones that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. So if you feel like you struggle and don't know your place and that you feel like you don't have much to offer, you are valuable in the body. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Check this out. I make the joke frequently now. I'm in the 40 club, and there's certain body parts that all of a sudden just start aching. There's like division in my body. And I find myself going, okay, it hurts today. Does tomorrow hurt a little bit less in my healing? About three days in, I start wondering, is this the new normal? Anybody? Okay, a few of you in this room. It says there should be no division in the body. God's plan is that the body function so that there is not division or the pain of it, that, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So when I've got pain in a body part, the other leg compensates for that leg, right? Each con- having equal concern. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Did you hear this, friends? Do not be tempted to believe that there are certain parts of the bodies that are, body that are MVPs. It's just not true. If one of you is suffering, the church family is suffering, whether it knows it or not. We are a body, we are a family, and we are designed to stay together and function together. And we all understand, I think God gave us this wonderfully simple picture that a first grader can understand, that just as a body has many parts that have to work together, and it's a miracle how it works daily, so in the body of Christ, every part is essential. Every missing part affects the others. Right now, in this room, this function, it is affecting those who are not here It affects those who are here. It affects the whole. And I'd say this, when somebody takes their ball and goes home, for one reason or another, it affects the whole spiritual game. But sadly, this is not a spiritual game. It's a family. And we're in a spiritual battle for eternity. 
So your involvement here is not primarily about you. It's about the whole body. So many have asked this question. Uh, when can we get back to normal? Start up our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, to get our kids' bill going. And those who want to come can come. And those who don't want to come don't have to come. going to surprise you a minute. Did you know that 47% of our church family has not connected back in any meaningful or significant way? 47% of our church family has not attended anything in person on any type of regular basis. The text is saying today that we need everybody. I want you guys to imagine with me that uh, you're on the way home. You guys are driving. And I hope this doesn't happen to anybody, but you're driving down LL here, and you're going 55, and you get into a wreck, and body parts start flying. And uh, you wake up three days from now down at the hospital, and you find out that 47% of your body parts are gone. How impaired would you be? Yo, how impaired would you be? Very. And you may figure out how to live. You may figure out how to get by, but you'd never be the same. And so whether you're here in the house or online, I want to say if you're part of the 47%, we miss you. I don't want to shame you. I don't want to push you away. That's not what this church family does. We miss you. And I want to say that we need you to function as God intended us to function. And when a tragic accident happens, when there's major trauma, soon or later, a person has to make a choice to move on. And so my prayer as a shepherd is that as we pray through as pastors and elder board about what God would have us do through 2021 and moving forward, we want everybody on board with us. We don't want people to get left behind. We want people on board. So open doors here. We ask that you continue to pray for our elder board as we work through this. But what this text is saying is this. We need the whole body, and the whole body is meant to have concern for each other, and we're meant to heal and be together. Now, if you're in-house and there's somebody not here that you've noticed, it is your responsibility to compensate or to be concerned and to lovingly reach out and care for others. That is the reality. That's the body. We need you. And if perhaps it's been a while and you're not sure how to get back in, Nathan, Sid, or myself would be delighted to chat with you about ways for you to meaningfully engage to fulfill your role in the body here. So we see number four, Christians fulfill their role in the body over the world. We also see number five here, that Christians, let me get you up there, prioritize the gathering of believers over the values of the world. Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to go back to where we were in the same book, Hebrews chapter 10. And I just want to just, just put out a, a quick confession to you all. 
and I've said this to said many times, um, when it comes to our application of the social distancing and the mask and then getting together, we all have massive inconsistencies, us included. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. So this is about, when we talk about this, this is not an evaluation of other people. This is a take a moment to reflect before the Lord in light of Scripture because we really do all have inconsistencies over the course of this last year. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Uh, let's just, I'm going to pick up in verse 22 then catch 23. He says, Let us uh, draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. There's no waffling here, friends. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How is that to be done? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, we're not going to continue reading, but if you were to keep reading, and I want to encourage you to do this, uh, verses 26 to 38, um, on the heels of what he just said, the writer of Hebrews is giving a very stiff warning, and actually it's a frightening warning towards those who don't stay in the game spiritually. So I would encourage you to read that. But what does this passage mean? What's it saying to us? He's challenging believers in hard times to draw near to God, hold on, don't swerve off course, hold on to the hope that we profess. And we do this, we encourage one another in the context of meeting together regularly. So, as I read Hebrews, and I see the stuff he's telling, saying that people are facing, and giving them hope of death, and giving examples of people who trusted the Lord through death, I ask this question, does a pandemic give us a pass from obeying his command to meet regularly? No. Does hardship give you a pass? No. Does your comfort level give you a pass? No. In fact, I've observed as a shepherd for the last 15 years, people who are going through hard times tend to withdraw from the fellowship, and it's the last thing they need to do. If you're going through hardship, I want to encourage you. You may not feel like it. You may feel everything opposite. I want to encourage you to press in to the fellowship. It's what you need. It's like your body when it starts showing signs of dehydration, it automatically knows, I need to go get water. Your spiritual body should be driven towards the fellowship, towards that encouragement. But you might be saying, Seth, isn't my physical health important? And the answer is absolutely. It's incredibly important. But all things in perspective. The Apostle Paul said this, for physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. 
So Paul didn't say the physical body or physical training is not important. He said it has some value. It is just not as important as your spiritual life. It's not what's most important. And according to the first Timothy that you see here, godliness trumps the physical life in each and every way. So I would challenge you as we try to move forward as a body that when the government is going around declaring what is essential and non-essential, don't buy the lie that the gathering of saints is somehow non-essential. Don't buy it. The Bible says otherwise. And Hebrews 10 tells us that not give up meeting together as some really quickly form the habit of doing. Because gathering together gives and helps us hold out hope. It encourages us towards love and good deeds. And you'll notice the further apart we are from each other, the less we tend to love others and practice the things that God has challenged us to do. We need all of us in the church family praying and obeying this passage. We don't need our church family praying about obeying. I have heard many times, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about the fellowship. No, we need people saying, Lord, help me to obey you. Help me to trust you in this season of my life. I want to encourage you to pray and act immediately. This is a, again, another ramp up on a shepherding moment. Can I share with you why we carry the online service? How many of you all have, have seen our online service? A good portion of you? Good. I, we hope that you were blessed by that, but I want to just share, again, shepherding pastors hard on this. We really only have the online service for a few reasons. First, for new visitors. Um, those who are checking out the Open Door Church family, it can be sometimes scary or intimidating, like you've never been here, you don't know what you're getting into. And so for people who, God's at work on their life, and if you're online now, we hope and pray that if you're one of these people, you'll find that this is a place for you if you desire to know God and hear his word. But the door is open. We invite you to come. The function of the body is here. And we want to move, invite you to move from watching to participating. And the second major reason is for those who are sick or have significant medical issues that keep them from living a normal life. And again, you know who you are. And we hope that our online service is a blessing. We hope it's a spiritual life support for you. And we want to encourage you, if you've got significant medical issues, utilize this for as long as you need. But I'd like to share some things of why our online service, or what our online service is not for. Because I, as a shepherd, I've heard more and more of these conversations and I just want to encourage you what it's not for. So I want to encourage you. Number one, if you prefer your PJs over showering and getting out in the cold, it's not for that. Is that fair? We all can chuckle about that. It's not for introverts who have anxiety about coming to church. It's not for those who feel like staying home. And again, I don't mean this to be painful, but I just very frankly here. You can enjoy it while you're on vacation, but it's not for those who feel comfortable going on vacation, visiting relatives, going shopping, go to school, do everything else in life, but think 
that it's too dangerous to come under the, the corporate teaching of God's word at the church. It's not what it's primarily for. It's not for your convenience. It's not so you can get stuff done around the house. It's not to kick down the road the need to teach your children how to submit and sit respectfully under the teaching of God's word. It's also not to keep you from having to obey governing authority with a mask. Watching online, and I'm going to just say this very gently to you all here, it's not being the church. It's watching the church. And Hebrews 10.25 makes it very clear that if for these reasons it's running dangerously close to disobeying the call to not give up meeting together. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to people going through significant hardship. They would say this year has been a tough year. And he warned his audience to stay in the game, stay in the fellowship. And again, as a shepherd, I've just, in my personal conversations, I've watched people continuously changing their reason why they're not fellowshipping. And I want to encourage you that there is great deception that's going on in the hearts of our people. And again, I say this, that I just, just hear me out on this gently. Just notice that if you're free to go out for dinner, you're free to go to the gym, you're free to go on vacation, but this is too dangerous, can you see the spiritual issue? I want to encourage you that this could be dangerously close to giving up on the fellowship a year's a long time. In fact, last week, Pastor Sid talked from Ecclesiastes that we can't add a single day to our life by our actions. I want to encourage some of you parents that a year is forever in the life of a child. It's forever. Your children, a year long without the fellowship of other believers in Christ, you may be raising, and I just say that again, I want to say this gently, but you may be raising pagan kids who don't even remember being under the teaching of God's word. They need fellowship, they need the truth, and they need the body. Some of you possibly have already lost your kids spiritually, and you don't even know it, and that's what fear does. And I want to encourage you that if you start trying to drive the ship back towards the fellowship, notice your teens Teens always have a hard time getting out of bed. But notice their resistance and complaining. Because in 2020, our children have observed that the fellowship of the saints is optional. They've observed it as non-essential. So please hear me on this. Again, hear me, hear me. Don't walk out of here and mis mishear me. If you are newly discovering Open Door or you are housebound with significant medical issues, by all means, please continue to watch our online. And if your car wouldn't start because it's negative 10, I, we perfectly understand. We're not trying to be rules, and we're not trying to control people. But the text says that we are to press in, hold on hope, and we encourage each other by not giving up the fellowship. So, it's been a year What's your plan? How long will you isolate? 
If the fear feels big and you're not sure how to get back, I just say this again and again. Reach out to us pastors. There are ways, there are inroads where people can reconnect in meaningful ways. It may not be this large corporate gathering. It may be in smaller areas, but there's ways to connect back to the church family. So why am I talking about this? Why did I, you know, I, I, you're, I'm uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable. Why are you talking about this? I come to church to feel good, right? Well, what do Christians do? And I'm going to give this last one to you. We have shepherds in our life that point to Christ. I do not take what I just said today lightly. I prayed this through very hard this week. Uh, I know that Sid and Nathan often do as well when they're sharing. But this is the passage that really came to my mind this week as I was saying, Lord, do I really want to share this and really challenge our people? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over them, over those you who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So, us pastors take this role very seriously. And you say, well, what's the role? We are actually told by the chief shepherd that we're supposed to be shepherds or guides or protectors of our, the spiritual care of the church family. And in case you're wondering what we're trying to do, we're trying to spiritually guide you towards Christ. Did you know that? We're trying to do that. So if you ever feel a poke in the rib and a push and a challenge, we're trying to guide you towards Christ. And God wants us as pastors to serve willingly and joyfully and that he wants our lives to be a model. And I pray, honestly, with all the gaps that we have and all the sin and issues in our lives, my hope and prayer is that what we do serves as some type of model for you. But what's really at stake here every time one of us pastors open our mouths and try to guide you? What's the weight? Look at verse 4. The chief shepherd is going to come back. And he's going to hold us accountable with a reward. And this is a big deal. 1 Corinthians 3 says, you as believers in Christ will also be rewarded. Don't ever forget that. We know that there's no works that gain you entrance into heaven, but there is a day of reward for those who walk faithfully with the Lord. And so let's together take today as a serious day where God wants us to live what biblically Christians across the the globe for the last 2,000 years have done. 2021 is a year of reestablishing that. He's coming back, and he's got priorities for us. And we need to be asking the Lord for strength to walk in obedience in this year. It's got to be a year of reconnecting, friends. These chairs are not a waste. This is for the fellowship. And God's glory is at stake. So I'm just going to send a review, and we'll be done today. Believers in Christ, you can see in your outline, We follow the way, Jesus Christ, not our fears. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Number two, we choose to forgive, not resent. Who is it in your life that you need to forgive or seek forgiveness from? 
We follow his mission and his command, not our emotions. So if you find yourself an emotionally charged person, we need to submit that under the control of Christ. We fulfill our role and identity in his family. We understand that we are part of a body in light of all their decisions that we make. And we prioritize the gathering of believers over the priorities of the world. And lastly, we as Christians, what we do is we have shepherds in our life to point us to Christ. And we remember this. Out of 100 men, one will read their Bible. The other at 99 will read the Christian. And I leave you with this question. What are the current 99 currently reading about the Christian that lives at your home address? Let's pray. Our Father, we are... Um, First, so humble that you would send your son Jesus to this earth as a sinless sacrifice for our sins. So our hearts are humbled in gratitude for that wonderful, great salvation. Lord, I'm sure that Christians of old also face these same challenges of getting their eyes off of you and your word, being tempted to, to not be in the fellowship Lord, I pray that you would help us be about the things that matter to you. Help us to move and develop and practice on the things that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that none of the family here today would, be, uh, would feel beat up, but would feel a sense of your spirit's conviction. Lord, and I don't know where that is and how that is that you'd have them apply it. But Lord, help us to be Christians that you've called us to be. Help us to be the Christian that reads the good news of Jesus, the hope of eternal life, and the value of the body. I pray that today, for those who are struggling, we pray for the 47% of our church who have not been able to connect back. I pray that you would reveal to them inroads that they may be built and encouraged and that this body can function and move together. Lord, help us, Lord. Thank you for the gift of singing. It lifts our soul. We pray it's a blessing to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.